Today is perhaps uh, the most important day on the entire Christian calendar, maybe save uh, for Christmas, depending on how you look at it. Uh, But today, Christians around the world have been celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and this is in every way appropriate. It is a glorious day uh, for those who are followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, The central event in Christian history and teaching is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. From the dead. Uh, our pastor this morning in Nevin said actually it is the central event of all of human history, and that is true as well. Uh, the resurrection, according to the Christian scriptures, changes everything. The resurrection took a hopeless, fledgling, unimpressive Jewish sect and turned it into the greatest movement the world has ever known. The resurrection is the singular event that triggered the worldwide. Christian movement. What started as a small band of Jews there in the Middle East has uh, taken over the globe, really. Uh, The Christian movement is the most significant movement in human history. And men and women throughout the ages have repented of their sins and believed on the risen Christ, and God has saved them and changed them by the very same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And this has been happening to millions and millions of people over hundreds and hundreds of years all across the face of the world. It's amazing to ponder, isn't it, that the resurrection of the Jewish man, Jesus Christ, was celebrated already by tens of millions of Chinese Christians today. Isn't that an amazing thought? The resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ that took place 2,000 years ago has been celebrated by tens of millions of African Christians all across the nation of Africa. And it's almost as wonderful that today, in an increasingly secular and post-Christian nation, the United States of America, literally millions upon millions of followers of the Lord Jesus have celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ today. It is the most celebrated and central event in all of Christian history. What do Christians believe about the resurrection? Well, Christians believe that the resurrection was not a fable or a myth or an allegory for some deeper spiritual reality. Rather, Christian faith holds that on a Sunday, much like today, in the early first century in the Middle East, a Jewish rabbi named Jesus of Nazareth, who had been unlawfully crucified at the hands of his own countrymen, actually rose from the dead and walked out of the grave. Christians are those who believe that Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, appeared before hundreds of people, including his first disciples, For some weeks after his resurrection. And then he ascended into the heavens at the right hand of God the Father. And all of this, Christians believe, was done in fulfillment of the plain statements of the scriptures. In the years following the resurrection of Jesus Christ, his apostles clearly demonstrated how the Old Testament scriptures plainly foretold that the Messiah would rise from the dead. Christians believe that this resurrection of the Lord Jesus was in fulfillment of what the scriptures had said. And today, as those who have come to know the risen Lord and have believed on him for our salvation, we celebrate his resurrection. Because in human history and in our lives, the resurrection changes everything, doesn't it? Have you experienced that in your life, in your heart, the fact that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, conquered sin and death, and now ever lives to make intercessions for Sinners like you and me who have come to faith in Jesus Christ. It changes everything. And so sinful men and women like us 
can actually have a living, vital relationship uh, with the Lord Jesus. It's a wonderful thing. Well, tonight I would like to try to capture something of the significance of this resurrection event in Christian history and teaching through the lens of just one man in particular. I want to consider the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the perspective of one of Jesus' disciples, perhaps his most well-known disciple, and that is Simon Peter. Other than Jesus himself, Peter is the foremost character in the gospel narratives. In fact, even those in our culture today who don't embrace the Christian faith sometimes will know certain things about Peter. Now, sadly, for poor old Peter, what he is most well-known for is probably for denying the Lord three times. That's what most people know about Peter. Other than that, they might know that he was a humble fisherman who was uh, first called by uh, the Lord Jesus, told to follow him. Uh, But more sadly still, most people in our culture today don't know the subsequent career that Peter had as one of the great apostles of the Christian church. If you were to ask uh, that I sketch a brief biography of Peter, we could say, first of all, uh, that he was a common Jewish man who worked as a fisherman. And he and his brother Andrew both worked together. And on one eventful day, as Peter was hard at work as a fisherman, this Jewish rabbi named Jesus comes to him and in a most compelling way calls Peter to be one of his disciples. Peter Peter spends the next few years following Jesus, observing his miracles and sitting under his teaching and ministering alongside the Lord. And Peter begins to develop a certain reputation that we see on the pages of Scripture. He develops a reputation as being passionate, uh, maybe at times a little audacious. He's quick to speak. He's quick to pass judgment. Maybe has a little bit of a temper. Uh, however, he was also a man of faith uh, who loved his Lord dearly. Uh, and as Jesus began to talk about his impending death at the hands of the Jews, Peter comes into sharp conflict with Jesus, even rebuking him for seeking uh, to suggest such a thing. As events unfold, Jesus is taken into custody, and Peter abandons his rabbi and three times denies the Lord Jesus. Recognizing that he had betrayed his Lord, he goes out in shame and weeps bitterly. But as Christ is crucified, Peter is nowhere to be found. Isn't that interesting to think about? This disciple who had walked with Jesus all those years, who subsequently preached the death and resurrection of Christ. When Jesus is actually being crucified, Peter is nowhere to be found. He's perhaps off somewhere weeping, uh, probably repenting, probably wondering what's going to happen to, to his Lord, to this rabbi. And he thinks the whole mission has, uh, has been a sham. has perhaps now come to nothing at all. But he's not there when Jesus Christ is actually crucified. But as Sunday comes, and reports begin to circulate that Jesus had actually risen from the dead, Peter runs to the tomb and he finds it empty. Some days later, Jesus appears to Peter and the other disciples. We read an account in John 20. And some days after uh, the, the death of Christ and his resurrection, he appears to his disciples. He says those sweet words, peace be with you. And the disciples marvel and are happy that they saw the Lord. Some days after that, Jesus appears again uh, to Peter. And this time he confronts Peter. And in a wonderful and sweet way, he restores Peter. And he commissions Peter. Be an apostle of the Christian church who would feed the Lord Jesus lambs and who would lead his sheep. And he tells Peter once again to follow him. And then you know the rest of the story. Peter goes on to serve as the first great apostle of the Christian church. And his preaching and his ministry produced thousands of converts. He's not imperfect. He's not without failure. But he performs many amazing and heroic deeds in the service to the Lord Jesus 
as an apostle. Peter even produced two New Testament letters known to us simply as First and Second Peter. And they were given to help suffering Christians uh, as they were seeking to serve under uh, oppression. The most prominent event in Peter's life was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I'd like to consider Peter in relation to the resurrection event. And I think that there are three distinct periods of Peter's experience that I want us to consider. One is prior to the resurrection. One is in the days that immediately follow the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And one is in those years, the lifetime that Peter has after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here are the three headings that I'd like us to consider tonight. First of all, we want to consider Peter the skeptic of the resurrection. Peter the skeptic of the resurrection. Secondly, we want to consider Peter the witness of the resurrection. And then thirdly and finally, Peter the preacher of the resurrection. So Peter the skeptic, Peter the witness, Peter the preacher. Let's consider firstly Peter the skeptic of the resurrection. Let me ask that you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. If you have your Bibles handy, I'll have us turn to a number of texts. Don't worry, they're all going to be in the Gospels, so hopefully all very close together, these texts that we turn to. Matthew chapter 16, Peter and the other disciples have been with the Lord for some time. They've seen pretty amazing miracles at his hand. They've come to believe that he is the Christ, that he is the Messiah. Uh, They've they've witnessed amazing teaching. Uh, They've learned what it is to be a disciple and a follower of Jesus Christ. But in Matthew 16, we have quite an interesting account recorded. Jesus now begins to talk about the work that he's come to do. Uh, It's no longer about his teaching about what it means to be a disciple. He's not performing wondrous signs. Now he's talking about this great deed that's going to be done. His death on a cross and his subsequent resurrection. Matthew chapter 16, follow along as I read verses 21 through 23. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day Be raised. And Peter took him aside. Remember I said Peter was a little audacious. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he, that is Jesus, turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Listen to the heading, Peter, the skeptic of the resurrection. Uh, as Jesus begins to foretell of what he really did come to do, which was to suffer on the cross, to die at the hands of the Jews, and then on the third day to rise again, Peter starts playing the skeptic. And he, he thinks, that's, that's scandalous. That can't happen to you, Lord. You will not go to the cross. You will not die and on the third day be raised. This will not happen to you. I will not stand idly by and watch this thing happen to you. Now imagine if Peter had faith that the Lord Jesus would actually rise and conquer death Uh, victorious over sin and over Satan, I don't know that he would have quite objected. But see, Peter is skeptical that this is what's supposed to happen. His understanding of what the Messiah was to be, what he was supposed to do, uh, was something different than this. It wasn't supposed to end in bloodshed and going in a tomb for three days and rising again. He's a skeptic of the resurrection. And he has the audacity to take Jesus aside and rebuke him. Can you imagine that? He takes his rabbi aside. He takes the Messiah aside. And he rebukes him and says, this will not happen to you. Far be it from you, Lord, to do this thing. And Jesus uh, gives Peter quite a serious rebuke himself. He says, get behind me, Satan. And uh, he rebukes Peter and puts him in his place. 
and says, you will not be a hindrance to me. I have this work that God wants me to do and I will do it and you will not hinder me from doing it. Now turn over just a little bit to Matthew chapter 26. Another example where we see Peter viewing the events of Jesus' death and resurrection as scandalous, as somehow mistaken, as in some way uh, inappropriate and wrong. Matthew 26, uh, Jesus has instituted the Lord's Supper. He's communed with his disciples at that last and great Passover. And now he's going to talk about what's going to happen in just a couple of days as he is taken into custody and as he is actually put to death. This is what he says, Matthew 26, verse 31 to 35. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter answered him, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. But Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. As Jesus tells about his coming death, and that he will rise again, he predicts that his disciples are going to fail, they're going to fall, they're going to scatter, they're going to leave the Lord Jesus. And Peter steps up, quick to speak, right? And he says, Lord, I, I will not follow away. Everyone else might follow away, I won't follow away. And then Jesus gives this horrifying prediction. That actually before the rooster crows this night, you're going to deny me three times. You're going to not deny you ever knew me. The one that Jesus called Lord, uh, excuse me, the one that Peter called Lord, the one that Peter called Rabbi, he was going to deny that very night. And as we read on in chapter 26, verses 69 through 75, Jesus actually does deny the Lord as different ones approach him. And uh, Peter is faced with whether or not he's going to identify with this criminal, his rabbi, his Lord. He actually denies Jesus three times. And Jesus looks at him. And Peter runs out and he weeps bitterly. It was not in Peter at that time a great deal of confidence that this was all going to work itself out. That the Lord Jesus was going to actually be killed and was going to rise again. He was skeptical that such a thing could ever happen. And when Jesus is taken into custody and he leaves and he denies the Lord and then he runs away and weeps bitterly, it's not with great hope that he's ever going to see his Savior again. No, he's going to die and this whole thing has been a farce. It's going to fail. and He will not see his Savior in his flesh ever again. He was a skeptic of the resurrection. But now we want to consider Peter, secondly, the witness of the resurrection. See, Peter the skeptic of the resurrection. Now we want to see, secondly, Peter the witness of the resurrection. Please turn to Luke chapter 24. Matthew, Mark, and then Luke, the last chapter of Luke's account, where we're told of the resurrection, Luke chapter 24. We want to read verses uh, 10 through 12. Jesus has been crucified. He's now been in the tomb. We have this account of the resurrection, Luke 24, verses 10 through 12. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. They're telling the disciples that Jesus had in fact risen from the dead and that they had seen the Lord. And they did not believe them. Verse 12, but Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. Now, you may know this, uh, maybe not, that in uh, the, the, these early centuries uh, of the church, the testimony of women uh, were considered unacceptable in court. 
Uh, to be a woman in those days was in many ways to be a second-class citizen. You didn't have the same legal privileges that men had. And so I actually think it's a great testament to the historicity of the resurrection that the Bible records these women who were there at, uh, at Jesus' resurrection. They were the first witnesses to what happened, what dignity the Christian message would have accorded women in those early days. Uh, but these ones who would not have been accepted as legitimate witnesses of an event, they come to the disciples and they think, there's no way that's happened. The disciples are skeptical. But Peter, though he still may be skeptical, uh, perhaps with a fresh sense of his failure and his betrayal, he thinks, well, what if this is true? He's perhaps full of hope, and he thinks, what if these women are actually right? And Jesus has actually risen from the tomb, and so he runs. He runs off to, to, to investigate this for himself, and he looks in, and he sees that the stone has been rolled away, and there are the linen garments folded up, and there's no sign of Jesus. And perhaps hope begins to dawn in Peter's heart as he, as he leaves there and he's marveling at what he's seen. Could it be that Jesus Christ has actually risen from the dead? Now please turn over to the text we read in John chapter 20. As we sketch more of this event, Peter, the witness of the resurrection. I want to look at John chapter 20, just two verses, verses 19 through 20. This is that account when Jesus, now after Peter, he had already been to the tomb, he had looked in, he's filled with hope that perhaps Jesus has actually risen, and now the disciples are meeting together, and Christ is going to appear to them in their midst. John chapter 20, verse 19 through 20. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. We heard a wonderful message. I, I commend it to you this morning at, at Grace Reform, those of us who were there from, from Pastor Gary Hendricks. He preached from this text, from these two verses. And he preached uh, more or less on that phrase, peace be with you. And he made this point, I, I not thought of this, uh, but he said, you know, imagine as Jesus appears in the middle of the room miraculously, the doors are locked in some miraculous way with his resurrected body. He appears in the midst of the room as truly as I'm standing in front of you right now, Jesus stood in front of his disciples. And what did they expect him to say? Guys, where were you? Why'd you leave me? Why were you so disappointing? How could you betray me after all the time I spent with you? I, I spent my entire life pouring into you and serving you and loving you and teaching you that the Christ must suffer and he must die and he must do this for sins and he'll rise again from the grave. Where were you? How could you betray me like that, you, you disappointing group of disciples? But he doesn't say that. He says, peace be with you. And I imagine with the freshness of all that shame those disciples felt, that must have just washed over uh, those servants of Christ, that he would say, peace be with us, after all the ways that we've failed him. But now turn over just one more chapter, John chapter 21. <laughs> Peter has seen the empty tomb. He's seen the risen Lord. Now let's read this interaction that Peter has with Christ. John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19. I'm not going to read these verses, but just before, chapter 21, verse 15, Jesus was out in a boat along with some of the other disciples, and he sees his Lord on the shore, and Jesus, uh, Peter just dives into the water and swims as fast as he uh, can to see Christ. And then he meets with Jesus here and has this interaction with him. John 21, verses 15 through 19. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, uh, 
son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. We didn't read this, but the first thing that Jesus ever said to Peter was, follow me. And, um, and this is what he says to him at the end of John 21. And uh, you could imagine for Peter, uh, some years that he's been with the Lord, we think maybe three and a half, four years, that he has been with Jesus. He has been, um, you know, the relationship of a disciple with a rabbi was a very intimate relationship. And uh, we believe perhaps they were always together. And after all the things they had experienced together, uh, Peter had failed the Lord Jesus in some pretty amazing ways. Uh, he had proved to be, at times, a faithless disciple. He had proved to be arrogant. He had proved to be uh, self-righteous at times and self-confident. He had proven to be brash and audacious. And he had proven to be a failure. He had actually betrayed the Lord, denied that he ever knew him. And we're not very far uh, from that great betrayal. And Jesus takes him back to the beginning. And those first words he ever said to him upon introducing him as a disciple, follow me, he says to Peter again. Well, this is not the burden of the message, but just a side note I want to say to each of you here, you disciples of Christ. One of the most beautiful things about the gospel is that you can always restart. You can always restart. Whatever failures are in your past, whatever ways that you failed the Lord, you feel like you've been just insufficient, that you've been weak, that you've been frail, that you've not been the disciple that you ought to be. Take courage from this account. How tender is Jesus? To come to Peter again and say those words that he said to him at the first, follow me. I love you. Follow me. Be my disciple. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Follow me. Uh, I, I don't know where each one of you are today, but I trust there are some here who need to hear that. Uh, that maybe you feel that uh, maybe this week you've not been the disciple you need to be. Maybe this year, uh, so far in 2017, has not gone according to plan in your uh, service to Christ. Maybe it's a matter of years that you feel you have not served the Lord like you should. Well, take comfort from this interaction with Peter. Hear these words again from Christ. Today can be a new day as a disciple. Whatever failures are behind you, whatever ways you've disappointed the Lord, today he says to you, follow me. It's okay. It's okay. Do you love me? Okay, now follow me. Let's start again. Let's restart. The longer I'm a Christian... That is one of the most beautiful facets of the gospel. I've heard it said that the gospel is like a, a diamond, right? You look at it from different angles and you pick up all these different features of the diamond. This is one of my favorite angles of the gospel. No matter how far we are in the Christian life, no matter what failures lie behind us, we can always restart and follow the Lord today. And I want to encourage each one of us to renew our attachment to Christ this evening.
But now thirdly and finally, we've seen Peter, first of all, the skeptic of the resurrection, the one that believes such an event would never take place. Then we've seen Peter, the witness of the resurrection, his interactions with Jesus in those days that follow. Now we want to consider, thirdly and finally, Peter, the preacher of the resurrection. Peter, the preacher of the resurrection. Let me just say this as an aside. As as Protestants, it's in every way appropriate that we make uh, much out of the death of Christ. We talk about the death of Christ all the time. We talk about his atonement. We talk about justification. We talk about salvation that we have uh, through his sacrifice that he's made through his death on the cross. And that is in every way appropriate. But actually what what gets the uh, sort of the feature role in the preaching of the apostles is actually the resurrection. Uh, That's seen as the more prominent event. Now I have no uh, uh, desire to put those two things in competition with one another. Uh, But I wonder, is the resurrection getting enough coverage in the songs that we sing uh, in our preaching Uh, The resurrection was seen as so crucial, so essential, so significant in the preaching of the apostles. And if you have time, if you're going through Acts maybe in your uh, private worship, just consider as you read through those early sermons, all the references to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We want to look at just one. If you would turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, this great sermon from Peter. There are other sermons recorded from Peter in the book of Acts, but this is uh, believed by many uh, to be the greatest sermon in Christian history, and no doubt, if you're measuring it by fruit uh, that was born from the message, it's it's hard to find a greater message. We want to read just part of Peter's message in Acts chapter 2. Now remember, uh, this man, probably a matter of just a few months ago, okay, denied the Lord Jesus before a servant girl. He would not even acknowledge the Lord Jesus to, 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 to a woman younger than him. He would not even say he was around Jesus and even knew who he was. Three months later, on the day of Pentecost, on this uh, magnificent feast day in the presence of thousands, he has the nerve, the audacity to stand up and to proclaim the risen Christ. Now I want to say to you, one of the greatest uh, apologetics uh, for the Christian faith of the resurrection of Christ is the radical change in Jesus' disciples in a matter of weeks. These men go from jokes, from failures, uh, from frail, weak, unimpressive uh, losers uh, to these men who are now boldly standing up in the presence of thousands and winning massive amounts of converts to the Lord Jesus. Well, what happened? What changed? They saw the risen Lord. They saw Christ who had died rise from the grave. Now let's read Peter preaching on this point in Acts chapter 2. Verses 22 through 36. They had been hiding behind locked doors just a few weeks ago for fear of the Jews. Now they're in public proclaiming the risen Christ. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus... Delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up. Loosing the pangs of death. Because it was not possible for him to be held by it. We sang a moment ago, no grave could e'er restrain him. It was not possible for him to be held by it. Verse 25. For David says concerning him, and now he quotes from Psalm 16. I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. You will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life and you will make me full of gladness with your presence. 
Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. He was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. He's saying that Psalm 16 was about Jesus, that he was the one who would never die, that he would never see corruption. Verse 32, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, and he quotes now from Psalm 110, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. You guys know the rest of the story that those who are there are cut to the heart. And they say, what must we do to be saved? And Peter says, repent and believe. And each one of you could be added. And surely that day, 3,000 souls in the face of the preaching of this great apostle, this preacher of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, come to believe and to enter into relationship with the living Lord. As you go through the book of Acts, we see Acts chapter 5, verses 40 through 42, that Peter, the preacher of the resurrection, actually suffers uh, and is beaten and is imprisoned on behalf of his preaching of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This man who was afraid even to say that he knew the Lord Jesus is now suffering at the hands of his risen Lord. What would do that? Uh, how has everything changed? Peter saw the risen Christ, and he was willing to suffer for his sake. The message that Peter preached was rooted in the historic fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I was going to have us read from 1 Peter 1, some references there to the resurrection, and then 1 Peter 2, where Jesus, uh, excuse me, Peter makes that great statement that he was an eyewitness to his majesty. Uh, but we won't, we won't go there. We read 1 Peter 1 as a call to worship. Maybe I'll just read verses 3 through 5. Peter said there, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. The resurrection of Christ, this event that uh, Peter was skeptical about, and then that he was a witness to, became central to his preaching as an apostle, central to his understanding of the Christian faith itself. What was it that turned Peter from a doubter, a failure, and a skeptic into the most powerful preacher in Christian history? And not just Peter, but all of Jesus' disciples, all of the apostles, men like the Apostle Paul. It was the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The Christian movement began with some lowly fishermen who saw the Lord Jesus raised from death to life and in the power of that resurrection preached the gospel to the world such that now... Tens of millions of Chinese Christians are gathering to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, such that we in this room, I don't know your ethnic origins, okay? Um, but we're, we're not a lot of Jews here in this room, right? And yet we've come 2,000 years later to enter in relationship with the risen Lord. And we are now those who call on his name and worship him as the risen Christ. It's wonderful, amazing what the resurrection of Jesus Christ has done.
Well, that's Peter. Now, what about the rest of Christian history? What about us? What about Christians today who did not actually witness the resurrection? Three things I want to say about believers who have not witnessed the resurrection like Peter. Very briefly, first of all, Christians are those who throughout history have believed the written witness of the apostles. They believed the written witness of the the apostles. John said, didn't he, in chapter 20, verse 30 through 31, these things have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. He said that for those who who weren't there to put their hands into the wounds like Thomas uh, did. But he has, we've been left with these written accounts that are actually the most highly attested to ancient manuscripts in all of human history. Do you know that we have extant copies, about a little over 5,000 extant manuscripts of these gospel accounts? Uh, that dwarfs uh, by roughly uh, 4,990 uh, manuscripts any other ancient manuscript. It's one of the, the greatest, uh, most highly attested to historic events in all of the history of the world. And the reason why some historians will not call it a historic event is because they assume, they assume it was impossible. Mm-hmm. But there is more, resur- more evidence to the resurrection of Jesus Christ than any other event in the first century uh, of the world. Uh, it just comes down to whether or not you believe the supernatural is possible, mm-hmm. which of course we believe. But Christians are those who throughout history have believed the written witness of the apostles. When we look at the words of Matthew, and Mark, and Luke, and John, When we see what the Apostle Paul has written and others in the New Testament, we don't see liars there. We don't see con men. We see men who really did see the risen Savior and radically changed the world as a result. Second thing we could say about Christians today who have not witnessed the resurrection of Christ. Christian people are those who have seen the resurrected Lord by faith and have a living relationship with him. Christians have seen Christ, not in the flesh. Um, having not seen him, though, they have entered into relationship with him, and they know him to be living and to be as true a friend as anyone. And uh, brothers and sisters, if you believe in the resurrected Lord, it is that you have seen him by faith. You're entering into relationship with him, talking to him, communing with him, having fellowship with him. We are those who really do know the living Christ, though we have not seen him, we believe him by faith. And thirdly, we could say of Christians, Christians are those who will be raised with Christ to endless life in paradise. Uh, One of the most beautiful aspects of Resurrection Sunday. 1 Corinthians 15, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. The trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible. This corruption will put on Incorruption. This mortality will put on immortality. That is the destiny of every single child of God in this room. We will be raised to endless life with our Savior. What a glorious prospect. What a glorious prospect. That's the destiny for each one in this room who is in relationship with the risen Christ. I want to conclude by saying this to those of you who don't know the Lord Jesus. Have not come to see him by faith. Uh, Do not believe that this resurrection really took place or that it has power to save people from their sins. All you in this room who do not know the Lord, perhaps some of you children here who have never believed uh, on Christ, this is what I want to say to you. I cannot take you back to Palestine and show you Jesus too. We don't know where it is. I can't take you there. 
Uh, I cannot take you back in time so that you could witness his resurrected body and so that you could put your hands in, in Jesus' wounds and in his side where he was pierced. I can't take you there. But I don't, uh, I don't need to to prove to you the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Kids, you need to know this. Jesus Christ is alive right now. He's alive right now. And uh, you won't hear an audible voice from him today. Uh, He's not going to walk in the room right now and show you his pierced hands and his pierced feet and his pierced side. But he is alive right now. You know, you could talk to Jesus, kids. You could talk to him. And he's going to hear you just like your mommy or your daddy hears you. Uh, he is a living person. Uh, he's, he's not in the grave anymore. He rose from the dead, and now he sits at the right hand of God the Father, and he hears us when we cry out to him. And what I want to encourage each one of you to do is this. I want you to cry out to the risen Christ, uh, to Jesus Christ, who is a friend of sinners and is a Savior and wants you to come to him. I want you to cry out to him. And I want you to ask, Lord Jesus, would you save me? Would you forgive me for my sins and would you let me enter into a relationship with you? I believe that you have risen from the dead. And I want to be uh, in relationship with you. I want to believe on you. And I want to be like these other countless millions over the years who have come by faith to know the risen Lord. Jesus is alive, kids. Jesus is alive, brothers and sisters, and He hears you. He walks with you. He receives you. He desires that people would come to Him and follow Him just like Peter did. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. You take my yoke upon you and learn from me. My yoke's easy. My burden's light. And kids, brothers and sisters, you'll find rest for your souls. May we all seek after Christ and seek to follow the risen Savior uh, more hotly than we ever have before. May we pursue Him and passionately seek to serve Him as the living Christ who is Lord over all. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, from the bottom of our hearts, those of us who are your people in this room, we say praise the Lord. He is alive. We thank you. Uh, that we could have this day in a special way, though we are, it's always appropriate that we celebrate your resurrection and meditate on it. We have this special occasion to focus in on what you have done in raising your son, the Lord Jesus, from the dead. We thank you for the gospel accounts of, uh, of, of the power of the resurrection and how tender Jesus was with his disciples in the days that followed. Lord, we are so aware of our sins and our failures and all the ways that we have been inadequate as your disciples, but we thank you that as the risen Christ, you desire to forgive us and to draw us afresh to follow you and to serve you and to enter into relationship with you. We so long for everyone in this room, even the smallest child who doesn't know you, to actually come into relationship with the risen Lord of the universe. That they would come to know Jesus Christ. There's nothing sweeter. There's nothing better than to be in a relationship with Him. And Lord, anything that we might experience in this life, any hardship, any uh, being ostracized or being outcast or suffering at the hands of others, it is not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed when we stand with the Lord Jesus in paradise. We pray that each one of us, each one in this room, on that day that is to come, Uh, that we would be raised to endless life in the paradise of God, in the presence of Christ himself. Uh, We pray, Lord, that you would hasten that day, that you would save each one of us uh, to the last, and that we would be found 
in our final hours following you uh, more obediently, more passionately than we ever have at any point in our Christian walks. Lord, we thank you for Christ. May we now walk in the days ahead in the power of his resurrection. May we know the power of his resurrected life at work in our hearts as well. Unite us to him. Bind us to him, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.